welcome back. It's the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Cole, and I feel as though I've eaten a lot of cake this week. Hey, don't forget to check out the website and the, the Twitter feed, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash how, how good it is pod. Ooh, I have a fine trivia question for ye today. I would like you to name the artist who had exactly two songs that went to number one during the 1960s, and both songs had one-word titles. Got that? The artist had two songs go to the top spot on the Billboard Hot 100, and they each had one-word titles. And as a hint, I will tell you that one song is from 1962, and the other is from 1969. And as usual... Surprise! I will have the answer for you at the end of the show. So by 1976, David Bowie had already released 10 albums, and while that 10th album, Station to Station, was well-received and very influential and did yield a big hit in golden years, Bowie himself had gotten into a bad place with cocaine and just general burnout. In fact, in interviews later on, Bowie admitted that he remembered almost nothing about the Station to Station recording sessions. And after making Station to Station, he took on the soundtrack to the film he had already shot, The Man Who Fell to Earth. In fact, the Station to Station album cover is a still from that movie. But after recording a few tracks, he got into a dispute with the producers and withdrew altogether from the project. Bowie also got into a little bit of hot water because he had made some comments that appeared to be in favor of fascism. Uh, it was really more akin to John Lennon's quip about the Beatles being bigger than Jesus, and it had much the same effect. So, Bowie did the smart thing, and he retreated for a while, going to Switzerland and later on Berlin with his friend Iggy Pop, and staying in an apartment that Pop had there in West Berlin. So Bowie wrote three albums while he was there, which is why collectively they're called the Berlin Trilogy. The first, from 1977, is called Low. The second, from later that year, was Heroes. And the third was titled Lodger, which was released in 1979. Of the three, only Heroes was mostly recorded in that city. Now, Low represented a move into electronic and ambient sounds, and it has a bunch of avant-garde sound fragments in it. But in Heroes, he does a little bit of a course correction, back into a rock and a pop sound. And it's the title track we're going to talk about in a minute. Heroes marks Bowie's return to physical and mental health and allowed him to be both more experimental for Lodger with nods to new wave and world music and also more conventional with a fuller sound than the other two, which have a sparse feel to them. Now for the younger crowd, I have to say gather around kiddies because there's a little bit of a history lesson here. After the end of World War II in 1945, the entire nation of Germany was divided into four zones, each of which would be controlled by one of the major occupying nations, those were the United States, the United Kingdom, France, and the Soviet Union, what we now call Russia. What's more, Germany's capital, Berlin, was also divided into four sections, despite the fact that it lay entirely in the Soviet zone. And within a couple of years, political divisions between the Soviets and the other three powers began to widen. By the early 1950s, the other three zones had merged back into one, but East Germany and East Berlin remained firmly under Soviet control. Finally, in 1961, as part of an effort to prevent people from leaving the Soviet zone, the Soviet Union closed all the borders between East and West Berlin, and construction of a physical wall began. 
In addition, the Soviets closed off the border between East and West Germany, putting up chain fences, minefields, or other obstacles, and they left this wide, clear no-man's land that gave soldiers a clear line of sight to shoot at anyone who tried to cross over. The Berlin Wall didn't come down until 1989, which means it was still in place during the time that Bowie lived in that city. So the song itself, Heroes, tells the story of a German couple who are in love and they're so determined to be together that they meet every day at the Berlin Wall under a gun turret. He doesn't mention the Berlin Wall explicitly, but he does bring up the wall and the guns being fired overhead. Co-writer Brian Eno said in a 2007 interview that, quote, It's a beautiful song, but incredibly melancholy at the same time. We can be heroes, but actually we know that something's missing, something's lost. But it turns out that the whole bit about the young lovers by the Berlin Wall was a little bit of a smokescreen. See, Bowie's producer, Tony Visconti, was married to Mary Hopkin at the time. Yeah, that Mary Hopkin. At any rate, while he was in Berlin working with Bowie, he was having an affair with one of the backing vocalists, Antonia Maas. At one point, uh, Bowie spotted them embracing from the studio window, and that was the inspiration for the song. In the 1999 book titled Strange Fascination, David Bowie, The Definitive Story, Visconti told this story, and he said that Bowie was protecting him and the affair. Bowie, however, didn't confirm the story until a few years later. Now, there are two things about the way Heroes is recorded and the way it sounds that I've always appreciated. One of them is how they managed to approximate a whole wall of sound sensation, and I think that's because the entire thing hits you at once from the first note. Boom! And you're off and running. It's very noisy and very forceful, and the synthesizers are at the same time insistent and oscillating. In addition, King Crimson guitarist Robert Fripp, who is playing on this track, he's moving around the room and he's playing with the pitch of the guitar's feedback. But the other cool thing about this record is Bowie's vocal and the way it was recorded. See, Visconti used three microphones to record the vocal. One of them was set quite close to Bowie's face, about nine feet, uh, nine inches rather away. The second one was set 20 feet away and the third 50 feet away. And as Bowie moved from one verse to the next, Visconti would mute one microphone and turn on the next one. Now, ordinarily, this effect would just make him sound a little more hollowed out and further away, but Visconti added an extra detail with a creative use of a technique called gating. Now, this is going to be a gross oversimplification, but, but electronically, a gate controls the volume of an audio signal, but there's a specific range set by the user that determines what's going to pass through the processor. So if the signal is above or below a given threshold, the signal doesn't go through. So see, if I move away from my microphone, my voice sounds both softer and further away. I'm just a couple of feet from the mic, but I haven't changed the way that I typically speak on the mic. If this mic were gated, you wouldn't hear me at all unless I spoke louder. And if you've noticed that, uh, you can always tell Phil Collins when he's drumming on a record, it's because he's using a combination of compression, reverb, but also gating. So as uh, Bowie sang each verse and the microphone switched, he was forced to sing louder and then louder still in order for the mic to pick him up. Otherwise, it wouldn't pick up anything at all. 
So by the time Bowie gets to that final verse, he has to shout just to be heard. And the other thing that happens is he gets pushed back into the mix just a little bit more each time, which makes him sound just a little bit more passionate and a little bit more desperate and a little bit more like the doomed lovers in the song. Heroes was released in several languages, and frankly, it didn't do very well early on. It only went to number 24 in the UK. It didn't chart at all in the United States. And in fact, the highest it charted on its initial release anywhere was number 8 in Ireland and number 9 in the Netherlands. It took time for the song to gain some acclaim and respect, and it wasn't one of Bowie's concert mainstays, although he noted in an interview with Q Magazine that it's a tough song to sing in concert because of the need to really belt it out near the end. He had to place it near a point where he could take a vocal break afterwards. Now, Bowie's performed the song on a few notable occasions. He performed it at the uh, Concert for New York as a tribute to the first responders involved in the 2001 World Trade Center attacks. He played it at the Live Aid show in 1985, but perhaps the biggest deal as far as concert performances was the time in 1987 when he played it at the Berlin Wall himself, not long before it came down. In an interview with Performing Songwriter magazine, he described it as one of the most emotional performances he'd ever done. The stage was backed up right up against the wall, and he hoped that some of the East Berliners would be on the other side and able to hear it. What nobody realized was just how many people would be there. It turned out to be in the thousands, and he could hear them cheering and singing along from the other side of the wall. But there are a couple of television performances that are worth uh, pointing out. The first time he performed it on TV was for a show hosted by Mark Bolin, the lead singer for T-Rex. About a week after the show, Bolin was killed in the auto accident. I'm going to link the video at the website because so many of them are bad and out of sync, but I did manage to find a good one for you. The other one? Well, there's something interesting to that one. Do you know the duet that Bowie does with Bing Crosby on The Little Drummer Boy? If you're not aware, that recording was made for Bing Crosby's Merry Old Christmas special, which aired in 1977. And once again, I think there's a clip you have to watch if you haven't already seen it. It opens with a skit that had to feel forced even 40 years ago as Bowie comes to Crosby's house looking for a friend who's supposed to live in this house and apparently lets him use the piano whenever he wants to. Instead of his friend, he finds Bing Crosby and they make some holiday tradition chit-chat before Bowie breaks out a piece of sheet music and they sing the duet. You got all that? Because it's during that same Christmas special that they're singing Little Drummer Boy that Bowie prepared a video of Heroes just for this show. Bowie is singing live against a recorded track, and there's some extra echo added to his voice, and he does this really interesting lip-sync performance that includes some uh, interesting dance moves. Unfortunately for Bing Crosby, he never saw the Christmas special because it was shot in September of 1977, and Crosby died in October. The show aired posthumously for Bing and on November 30th. And finally, I suppose it's worth mentioning that after Bowie's death in 2016, the song was streamed on Spotify more than any other of his songs, and it reached a new height of number 12 in the UK, number 11 in the US, and number 3 on the Euro Digital Songs Chart. And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page 2, I asked you to identify the artist who reached the top spot on the Billboard Hot 100 only two times, once in 1962 and again in 1969, and both songs had a one-word title. That artist would be Tommy Rowe. In 1962, he went to number one with this song, Sheila, remaining there for two weeks 
Incidentally, while the song was written about a girl he knew from high school, the name Sheila comes from Tommy's aunt who happened to be visiting. The other song is Dizzy, which spent four weeks in the number one position in March of 1969. Dizzy incidentally changes keys 11 times across four different keys, three of them in the choruses. Tommy Rowe had a half dozen songs go to the top ten, but those two are his only number one songs. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're liking the show, please take the time to share it and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter at How Good It Is Pod. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And, ooh, we, we have a listener request. So next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when everybody wants to rule the world. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time. <laughs>